Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, we're going through Acts and we've been looking at the whole issue of lighting a fire, lighting a fire in a church, really becoming who Jesus wants us to be. And we're going to look at the lives of two different people from this passage. We're in Acts chapter 1. One whose death is recorded in this passage, and that's Judas, and the other who was chosen to fulfill his position, Matthias. And really, we're going to talk about two people who were with Jesus from the very beginning, who saw Jesus do everything that he did, but their destinies were completely different. We're going to see the true value of who they are because in the end, their lives reflected what they truly believed. And we really want to examine our own lives because it's possible that you might be here and you profess and you even follow, but you don't really know. You haven't truly made that commitment to Jesus. Or if you have, you're following him for your own reasons and there is a path, there is a destiny for that. And we're going to look at it today in our passage. So look with me. It's an interesting portion of scripture, but look with me at verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up, and in the midst of the disciples altogether, the number of names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so the field is called in their own language a keldema, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry of the apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. What we're going to look at today is, is, first let me give you an understanding of what's going on in this passage. Jesus said that there would be twelve. Twelve is a symbolic number to the nation Israel. And so they are feeling... They're feeling among the apostles as they're led by the Holy Spirit, especially Peter, is feeling that that position which is left vacant by the betrayal of Judas and now his death needs to be filled. They agree to that. They choose from among them one of two men who had been with Jesus from the very beginning, who witnessed everything, who witnessed his death, his resurrection, his ministry, his ascension. And they come up with Matthias and a guy by the name of Justice or Barsabbas or, or Joseph, whichever of the three names he goes by. Think about how that, three different names that you go by. And 
they choose by lots Matthias, and he fulfills the position. So we see this going on, but you say, now what does that have to do with us? Well, I want to talk about the two lives. As I read this passage and I pondered this passage, I wish he was thinking about this passage for about three weeks, I kept coming back to the same conclusion. There's Judas and there's Matthias. They started out on the same path. They followed Jesus around the same time, at the beginning of his ministry all the way to the end to his ascension, except, of course, Judas, who died before then. And you see within the two men, two different paths. They're two different followers. One was genuine, the other was fake. One was genuine, the other was fake. And as I looked at this passage, I was saying to the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to bring to your people? What do you want me to tell them? And it really came down to an issue of really examining our lives and our walk with God as to whether or not it is genuine or it is fake. Whether or not I really am who I say I am, or really whether or not I am just living a lie. And in the end, the destiny of that will be revealed. So I want you to notice with me, we're going to look at two different people. The first follower, of course, is Judas. We see his story recorded briefly here as far as his death. And I want you to see a couple of things, actually four different things from the life of Judas that I think that we need to reflect on as far as our lives. First of all, not everyone is a true believer. Not everyone is a true believer. Just because somebody professes Jesus Christ, just because someone makes gets baptized or prays a prayer or says that they are a Christian is a Christian. Does everybody understand that? You know, you and I I've been I've been a believer now since nineteen eighty five, almost twenty four years now. And in the twenty four years and I've been pastoring now oh fourteen years, almost fifteen years. It's been sixteen years, almost sixteen years since my ordination. And I've I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of folks and I've seen a lot of folks who make professions and who quotes say they are, but in the end they really aren't, because something always reveals that they aren't. And there's a reality that you and I need to realize, that even in this church, and among us here, is that not everybody is a true believer. They start out okay, you can't even tell the difference. In fact, that's my next point I want you to see here, is that they did not stand out from the crowd. He didn't stand out from the crowd. In fact, I want you to think about it. If you go through your mind in the Gospels, when Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, tells them, one of you is going to betray me, did you notice nobody said, I know it was Judas. What did they all say? Is it me? I would never do that, Jesus. Judas was not somebody they suspected of doing it. Why? Because they trusted him. What do you mean they trusted him? First of all, guess what he was with the group? He was the what? Treasurer. He handled the money. Let me ask you something. If you knew some guy was a scoundrel, would you give him money? No, they trusted him. I mean, it wasn't revealed until later that he was a scoundrel. So what I want you to see was is that, you know, even in this room, so with a message like this, the tendency is going to be, well, let me kind of scan the crowd here. Who is it? I think I got an idea. You can't. You and I can't tell. You and I have no clue. Because it doesn't, you can't tell. You just don't stand out. And, you know, the issue is is that not everyone's a believer. Listen to what Jesus said. He, he said this in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, listen to what he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Lord, haven't we preached your word? Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name? I mean, they did spectacular, amazing spiritual things. Listen to this. 
and done many wonders in your name? And listen to what Jesus says. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Not everyone, not everyone who names the name, who comes to church, who sits in a pew, truly believes. And you know the thing is this, you can't tell. The reality is that Judas was one of them, but he didn't truly believe. But you couldn't tell him apart. Couldn't tell him apart. The other thing I want you to see here is this about Judas. I think it's a very interesting point, but I think that uh, you and I need to notice. And that is, and you see it throughout the Gospels, whenever he is mentioned, the writers writing after the event, they all point out that he was motivated by self. He was motivated by self. Life was all about Judas. It was all about what he wanted. In fact, I think the most interesting thing is, is we have it recorded in most, I think all of the Gospels, is when Mary, the sister of Lazarus, you know, she had a year's worth of spikenard, of ointment, of fragrant perfume. A year's worth of wages it costed. And right before Jesus' death, is there in Mary and Martha's house, and of course Martha's probably slaving away in the, in, in the kitchen there, and there's Mary. And she takes that and she breaks that and she perfumes, she pours that over Jesus' feet. It anoints his head. The interesting thing was is that several of the Gospels point out that the disciples fussed about it. That's a lot of money. We could have used that money to be given to the poor. Now, one of them goes a little bit more specific and says that the disciple who was fussing was a guy by the name of who? Judas. And he really wasn't interested in the poor unless he was thinking about poor old me. He was thinking about himself. See, here's the distinguishing thing about someone who truly follows Jesus Christ and someone who doesn't. And the issue is you really can't tell the difference, but the issue comes right down to this. They are motivated by self. Everything has to do with self. In fact, I think that's why Judas did what he did. Understand with me, you know, we can be hard on Judas for a moment, but I want you to think about where he's at for a moment. He's living in a country that's dominated by Romans. It's a rough place to live. He longs for someone to come and overthrow the Romans. And then here's this Jesus, who is the miracle worker, who raises the dead, who walks on the sea. I mean, you think about what Judas saw. And in his mind, as well as in the mind of the other disciples, they are thinking at that moment, this guy is going to overthrow the Romans, and I'm going to rule with him because I'm one of his right-hand men. In fact, I want you to understand something. He probably was so trusted in the night of the meal in which he was betrayed, it was usually two places of honor for the main person there. It was on his left and on his, on his right. Guess what? Judas had one of those positions. It was a place of honor. In fact, the sup that was given, you and I read about that, that piece of bread that was dipped and then given, the first person that that was given to was considered an honored one. Then who did Jesus give that to? Judas. So here he is, he's thinking, he's, you know, he's, he's thinking in his mind, he's going to overthrow, and think about it, he doesn't even have to be a battle because he's seen Jesus do things with just the word and it happens. But then comes the night of betrayal, and Jesus is saying things like this, I'm going to die. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to have to leave you. Those are scary things, aren't they? Especially if you've just spent three years following somebody, and especially if you're motivated by self. And in his motivation by self, he thought, you know, I just spent three years. I need to get three years out of this. So what does he do? He goes and gives Jesus for what? 30 pieces of silver. Why? 
is motivated by himself. My friends, you and I need to stop for a moment. You know, when we come to church and we come in here, the issue is really one of two things. What are you motivated by? What are you motivated by? Are you motivated by self? What can I get out of being here? I mean, that's the most common attitude. I have had it for many years about coming into a church. Lord, you bless me with something. You give me something today. And, and it's all about self. Self. And, and you walk out of here, boy, that was a really, that was a bad service today. I didn't really, I, and you ever notice, I didn't get anything out of it. George wasn't feeding me. We use words like I and me. Because our whole focus is on self. You know, that really reveals something, and it's a very scary thing if it reveals. The other attitude that I am trying to learn, and I think all of us need to learn, is that I am here not for me, but for everyone else. I'm here for God. And it's not about me anymore. It's about others. And let me tell you something. When you adopt that attitude, your whole Sunday changes. You actually look forward to coming because it's like, Lord, who can I be there for today? Who can I put my arm around today? Who can I be an encouragement to today? Who can I help today? Lord, I belong to you. My hands are your hands. My eyes are your eyes. My lips are your lips. Let me speak encouragement to someone. See, that's a selfless attitude. But I want you to say this about Judas. Judas was motivated totally by what? Himself. And there's the final observation I want you to see about that. And it's very important. His path led to destruction. Luke doesn't bring it all out in the book of Acts. Matthew records that Judas was struck with a guilty conscience about what he had done. And he went back to the chief priests and he threw the money at them and said, I, I've betrayed innocent blood. And they said, well, that, what's that got to do with us? It's on you. So he left the money with them. And the scripture records in Matthew that he went and he hung himself. Luke goes on and says what the aftermath of that is. Now today, you know, when somebody commits suicide, they deal with it immediately. In that day and age, if somebody did that, you have to understand their Jewish, Jewish laws, to touch a body would make you ceremonially unclean. And death was commonplace back then. So if you saw that, you would say, boy, that's a cursed tree. There's somebody hanging on that tree. In fact, the Old Testament talks about cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. The decomposition process would take place. Animals. And Luke records to us that his body fell and split open. Enough, enough imagery there. But that was his destiny. And ultimately his destiny was hell. Because in his remorse, he was still motivated by self, not by Jesus. See, I want you to understand something. When you are self-focused, when you are so focused on yourself, that destiny always is destruction. Period. Let's talk about it in the physical realm. Let's talk about it in our relationships and so forth. When you have a marriage relationship and you've got one person who is focused on me, 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 eventually that kind of thing leads to destruction. It leads to destruction in relationships. It can lead to destruction in other areas of your life. But my friends, I'm going to tell you something. The reflection of someone who follows Jesus for their own reasons rather than following Jesus for who he is, you're not truly a believer. And that, that can bring forth a process of spiritual destruction. In fact, I think it's interesting. If you go to John chapter 15, Jesus, when he's in the upper room the night before he was betrayed, he's going to tell them that he's betrayed. He says this. Listen to me what he says. He says this in his passage. He talks about, I'm the vine and my father is the husbandman. And every branch of me that beareth fruit, what? He prunes that it may bring forth much fruit. 
But listen to what he talks about that there are others that follow him who don't bear any fruit. And listen to what he says. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch of me that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. What's he talking about here? Somebody can lose their salvation? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about followers. But not every follower is a true follower. And those who are motivated by self and they don't bear any fruit for the kingdom, that they're truly not following and their destiny is hell. See, the first follower. There is a second follower. We know very little about him. We just know his name. We know his testimony in this passage that he was with Jesus from the very beginning. And I want us to understand what does it truly mean to be a follower, a true follower of Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to see about him is this, and that is Jesus was real to him. Notice what Peter says. Look with me at verse 21. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in, out and among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. What's Peter saying? The guy who's going to fulfill this position that Judas left needs to be someone like us, someone who Jesus Christ was very real to, who was there from the very beginning, who saw it all. This person has to be a kind of person that Jesus is real to. Listen, my friends, that's the first mark of discipleship. The first mark of discipleship is not what you believe. It's not a set of creeds. It's not a set of doctrines. So you can know all the right stuff and, and be wrong. Well, think about it for a moment, because if knowing all the right stuff made you okay, then Judas would have been okay. Because if you went to Judas and said to him, can Jesus raise from the dead? Of course he would say yes, he saw it. Is he the son of God? Yes, he is, because he saw it all. But I'm going to tell you something. Simply believing is not enough for salvation. Why do you say that? Because what does James say? Even the demons believe and tremble. But we know their destiny. The issue comes down to the first mark of discipleship is Jesus Christ real to you. And do you believe, not just with your mind, but with your heart, have faith that he is who he is, the Son of God. And that was the key mark of who should be an, an apostle here. It's someone who had saw him from the very beginning. A witness. That's the key mark. The second thing I want you to see here about him is this. Here's the thing. We, and we know this not from the Bible, but we know this from church tradition. Matthias, he was marked by selfless service. He was marked by selfless service. Here's the thing I want you to see about Matthias. We don't know anything. We just see him recorded here. He's not somebody that stands out. But church tradition, church history tells us that he would later go on and be killed for his faith. He would later be martyred, serving Jesus. See, that's the ultimate service, isn't it? To give of your life in such a way that it didn't even matter if you were killed. Now, I'm not calling, Jesus isn't necessarily calling you to go die for him, although he may. But the reality is, though, he wants you to live what? He wants your life to be marked by what? Selflessness. And a true disciple is marked by selflessness. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and others. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and others. That's reality. That's where true life is found. Have you noticed that when we focus on self, we're just miserable? I don't know about you. I get in those moods every once in a while where it's all about me. 
and and Lori and the kids are miserable being around me. I'm miserable being around me myself. It's all because it's all about me. And, and you know, being all about you is just talking about miserable. But when you do something selfless, your life needs to be marked by selfless service. Here's the other thing I want you to see about Matthias, and this is where it comes. See, this is the reality. You know what distinguishes a false believer from a true believer? This is the final point here. He was a witness to the reality of Jesus. Listen, don't say to me that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but your life doesn't show it. And listen, when I talk about showing it, let me, you know, especially in our circle of churches, showing it means walking around with a big Bible and, and talking Jesus talk. That's the last thing I'm talking about. People see right through that. You and I are to be witnesses of the real Jesus, the one who saves us. And what comes out of you, sometimes you don't even have to open your mouth. People can look at you and say, there's something different. I've been watching you as you've been going through this. There's something different. What is it? And then you tell them. It's the real Jesus. See, that's what, that's what distinguished his life. Jesus was real to him, and it was so real to him that when he lived his life, it just came out of him. Kind of reminds me in the Old Testament of Moses. Moses went up on the hill and spent 40 days with God fasting. And when he came down, it said that his face shone. It was, it was bright from being in the presence of God. How many of you remember that passage? And it said that the people could not bear to be around him because his face was so bright from the glory of God that when he was with the people, listen to this, he had to wear a veil to cover the glory and he would only take it off whenever he would go into the tabernacle and talk to God face to face. You and I need to have lives that reflect the reality of Jesus in our lives, but that so that people, when they notice the way you live and the way you respond, they say, man, there's something different. That's true discipleship. That's being a true follower. That was Matthias. You know, how do I wrap this up? Let me give you some things to think about. I want you to think about your life for a moment. I'm going to ask you three things. Present three statements to you. And it's really easy. You can snow people. We have degrees in snowing people, don't we? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I have a doctorate in snow. All of us do. And you learn it from real... I mean, you, you don't go to school for it. You learn it on your own. And we just snow people. We can blow smoke, and people can think things about us and not really ever know the truth. Have you noticed that? But you do. And in the reality of a room like this, there are people who are making a profession, but the reality is it's a selfless profession, a selfish profession, and the reality is is you don't know Jesus. You may be ever even deceiving yourself because everything else in your life points to something else. So you've got to ask yourself a question. And here's the question. Are you real or fake? Are you real or fake? You know what? When non-Christians or people who don't go to church look at a church and they say, oh, it's just filled with hypocrites. I don't, a lot of people get an attitude, well, that's just them. You know, they need to, you know, and they've got an attitude to the people who make that kind of statement. Oh, it's just, you know, they need to get real. I know better. No, you don't. I just told you we don't know who, who's who and who's not. I look at them when they say that and I say, you know, hmm, that's interesting. What they're looking for is something real and they're not finding it. So I think, you know, it's interesting. Statistics are showing that America is spiritual. They're just not looking to the church. And the reason why they're not looking to the church is they don't see reality there. 
How do they find reality? Well, we've got to find reality first. Reality is found in Jesus. And then we've got to ask ourselves a question about our faith. Are we fake? And being fake means you're snowing people. But you can't snow everybody and you sure can't snow God. Or are you real? That's reality. Are you real? The question is, are you fake or are you real? You need to ask yourself that question. And can I be honest with you? Don't even just do it in this moment. Go home and think about it. Digest it for a week. Am I fake or am I real? And some of you are going to have the thing, you're going to immediately dismiss my question because you're going to say, well, I know I'm all right. No, no, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking if you're fake or real because you might be all right and you're still fake because you're not reflecting the reality of who you really are. So you've got to ask yourself that question. The other thing is this. What is the source of your motivation? What is the source of your motivation? Is it all about you, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I? Is that who it's about? You and what you want and who you are? You know, God gives us some interesting institutions to help us to try to learn selflessness. I think one of them is marriage. You know, I've been married now 16 years and another month. And one of the things that God taught me in 16 years, it ain't about you, George. No matter how much you want it to be, it ain't about you. And she ain't there for you. You're there for her. And I ain't doing a good job. I'm still learning. I mean, like that, that fireproof movie where the guy said he had to earn a degree. I'm still working on just getting through grade school. Listen, listen to me. What are you motivated by? When you come into a place like this, when you go to God, is it all about you itself? And here's how you can, here's how you know what it is. When you go through a difficult time, who are you blaming? God or something else? If you're blaming God, then I can just tell you right now, it's all about you. What's your motivation? See, your motivation reveals where you're at as a follower. And if we want to be all that God wants us to be as a church, we need to be motivated not by ourselves, but by Him and others. Period. And the final thing I want to leave you with is this. Become a true witness of Jesus Christ. Become a true witness of Jesus Christ. You know what? People, I've already said it, people are... Creeds are not what they're interested in, although creeds are important. Don't ever let me say they're not important. Doctrine is important. You need to know your doctrine. You need to know your creeds. You need to know what you believe. But what people are not interested in is just mindless, empty words. They want to see reality. And they're interested in Jesus, but they want to know the real Jesus. And it goes back to that first question again. Are you fake or real? When they see you, do they see the real Jesus working in your life? And let me be honest with you, nobody wants lip service anymore. They want reality. They're desiring reality. What does that mean? If you're here and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, become a true witness. It means you live your life day by day, reflecting the reality of the one who's real to you. And others will see the difference. And there may be an opportunity where he'll give you the opportunity to say something too. Become a true witness. Let me ask you this question. In the end, who do you want to be like? Judas or Matthias? Thank you for being with us this morning. We trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. Before we leave you today, George would like to share some special news 
about an upcoming event. Folks, we're excited about a five-week series at the church called The God Questions. We're looking at the tough questions that many are struggling with today. Questions such as, is God real or is the Bible true? In fact, we're addressing the question, do all faiths lead to heaven today in the 1045 worship service? We'll also have a question and answer forum today at 6 p.m. to discuss this question in detail. Next week, we'll look at the really big question that many struggle with, why does God allow suffering? It is our hope that you'll be able to attend these discussions. For more information about the series or any other information, visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org or you can call us at 236-1622. On behalf of the church family, we hope that you'll look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.